0: I kind of I really want to know what Black London used to be like. Same. I kind of imagine it being like kind of cool. I was really sad that we didn't get to see it
1: in the end. Yeah. Because the whole time he's like, I've got to go to Black London. It's like it's probably, it's probably like this like heaven. It's probably something. just super <laughs> radios, like this paradise.
0: Right? People are secret. like, like, yeah, shit. This is what it is. So black London has created this history of universes. Love
1: that, Love and that so that they can live in peace. <laughs> God, that'd be so nice. Do they fake their own death?
0: <laughs> like Black London is just like it's just like magic and like mm-hmm. glitter. You know, it's just like this magical
1: land. Everyone poops fairies and <laughs> butterflies. Yeah. <laughs>
0: This is In Bed with Books
1: with your hosts, Bethany and Melissa. Today we are talking about the first book in the Darker Shades trilogy by V.E. Schwab, and we are joined by a special guest, a friend of mine. Yay! Hi, everyone. Taylin Nelson here. Uh, Lovely to be here. Very excited. I'm a personal fan of In Bed with Books. Um, in part because I helped come up with the name. Yeah. So. True, true. I forgot about that. Uh, no, I'm really happy to be here. I am um, Melissa's friend, longtime friend. You could even say best friend. <laughs> well, <laughs> you've seen me naked, so. <laughs> no, going back from that, it's best no. all the way. Um, <laughs> and also, for any of those who, uh, who don't already know, I am also her roommate, so yeah. we live together in Houston in a big house with a green yard, the perfect dream. She's the owner of all of the cats that I post on the Instagram because I don't have any of my own. So the small gremlin Seymour and the beautiful angel that is Franny are both her babies. They are, yes, and very, very proud to have them featured um, because the world needs to see their beauty. Yes, truly. So
0: I know a little bit about you, Taylin. I know that you're Gemini, and I have a lot of Gemini, so I feel like we get we will be best friends. But what else is there about you that we should know?
1: Yes, well, you know, guilty as charged. I'm a femini, uh, I mean, a Gemini, not a Femini. <laughs> um, we haven't uh, had anything to drink, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. Just the coffee. Um, I. Um, unlike you two, sadly, I am not yet a recovering academic, unless you can be a recovering academic while still being in academia. I'm not sure that's possible. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I'm still, uh, you know, still in the rat race, not sure if I'm living the dream or not, but, um, I'm, I'm out here in Houston. Uh, I'm in doing a PhD in literature at Rice university and, Um, in my second year, so the last year was just all online, um, which, you know, a lot of people had to experience, not, not super fun, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm out here. I'm glad I'm really grateful that I'm in a program because I know a lot of schools had to, unfortunately, you know, not accept students this last year. Mm. Um, so it's really good in that respect. I'm glad that I was able to get into a program before all this kind of happened, but, yep, I, I actually uh, went to King's College London where Melissa, both Melissa and Bethany met. I was there the yes. year before both of them. <laughs> Arguably, <laughs> if if you hadn't gone, I wouldn't have met Bethany. Whoa. Because I wouldn't have gone to the program either.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because you were in the same program. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, like, like Taylin, you helped me get into King's. I don't know if I helped. I just kind of set, gave you the info and you did the rest. You completely helped me rewrite my application. (laughs) I don't know. I don't remember that. I I don't don't remember sitting in the Starbucks doing that. I don't know what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) I just remember the whole year. Melissa would be like, well, my friend Taylin. Damn. No, she would just be like, well, Taylin... Seven. Oh, oh, the <laughs> program. Da, da, da. No. Wait, <laughs> Taylin did it last year. We all knew
1: Taylin very well. <laughs> okay. To be fair, also all of the professors talked about you at some point. If they like, if I brought up that I knew you, like they didn't oh. let us forget. They were like, "Well, you know, you're you're kind of like Taylin. I see it, and I'm like, we're not related." <laughs> oh my god, that's terrible. It's just all of our uh, our childhood years in theater coming back to haunt us we have the same yeah. mannerisms so we yeah. both we're both very american in the sense that we are talking <laughs> with our hands and talking a lot <laughs> yes yes yeah we have opinions yes we got things to say yeah yes and that that's always a big shock i think yes like, oh, for sure agreed but yeah it's kind of fun sometimes to just be like you know just be put in the group the Americans it's kind of fun. it was it was kind of funny i remember going to a party over there um with vinny and i think it was a eurovision party and we were walking up the stairwell um someone had let us in just a stranger um like a someone from the party and someone yelled out like who's you know who's there and the girl said oh just some americans and we were just so excited to just be classed that way. It was just, it was so like, you know, different for a second, you know? But yes, I wish I had, uh, I wish I'd been in the program same year as you guys, because that would have been really fun. That would have been super rad. It was a big year, though. I think we, we've realized like between your, like literally you the year before and us, the program doubled in size. Yeah, yeah. we had 17. 19. I think we started with like, we started with like 20. Yeah. I think we had nine and it was already a lot, but imagine how much fun we would have had. Yeah. Like romping all over London. Yeah. That year that would have been so great. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Through the London literally all through all London's. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So
0: that is why I was so excited to read the series because I was like, I just want to go back. I don't care what color I don't care what color it's in
1: <laughs> like I feel 100% like the stereotype of like the girl who traveled and studied abroad for a semester in Europe and I'm like first of all I didn't study abroad I was Literally an international abroad. student technically what was second of all there's a reason that's a stereotype <laughs> it's very rooted in truth I cannot shut up about when I went to London I tell everyone that I meet, my chiropractor, <laughs> the guy at the coffee shop, everyone knows. They didn't ask. I just tell them. I you know. sound like my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, the
0: same. I'm like, well, when I lived in London, yeah.
1: Like. well, you know, I moved from Stratford to Hackney. <laughs> but, like, Hackney Central. This is how the British hear our accents. This is what they hear when we yeah. speak. yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> we sound like we're from like the OC or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, first thoughts on the book? Well, uh, yeah, I think I'm really excited to be here today to like talk about this book because actually, like, it's kind of perfect because I actually, you know, I haven't read YA for a really long time and I didn't even know about like adult fiction if that makes sense, like adult fantasy fiction. I didn't know that that even existed until I read this book a year ago. And so this is like really exciting because it was kind of like my first reawakening, my realization that this genre even existed, you know? And so that was really exciting for me to kind of like come to this book and book series. And I couldn't put it down. I mean, I, I blew through all of them like so fast, but yeah, like kind of, you know, same as you, Bethany, same as you, Melissa. Like, I really enjoy, obviously, like, being in a book that has multiple Londons. Like, that's pretty cute and pretty cool. I think, like, you know, what what my favorite part is is obviously Lila. She's such a cool character and just so, so inspiring. Someone that you want to be, you know? Like, I think she really yeah. makes the whole book series. I'm not going to, like, give away any secrets for two or three. Obviously, I'm going to try to, like, keep my facial expressions and my voice. Um... <laughs> you know, even so that, you know, if you have your theories, I won't give anything away. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think this book is, like, uh, I think it's really interesting because it's kind of blending a lot of different, maybe, other fantasy books and TV shows that, like, from my childhood, like, it, sometimes it reminds me of Avatar The Last Airbender mm-hmm. with some of the, like, magical kind of ability to control the elements. And then at other times, you know, it's reminding me of... Maybe like Harry Potter with this kind of world making. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think? So I also loved that it was multiple Londons. I really, I I did enjoy the the style was very 18th century at times. Like like the writing style, even like she really got into it. And we know 18th. Century. Oh, we know. Yeah, we know. <laughs>
0: We, I guess we didn't mention that, but that is the course we took. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. 18th century studies. So <laughs> get yep. ready. Um, strap
1: in. And so this was kind of like, this was a topic that we had covered in serpent and dove, which was the kind of concept of fate within the story. And so I really love that. That's kind of an underlying like fate or like destiny kind of things. Cause there's all of these parallels between Kel and Lila that happened throughout the story. I love that she keeps that consistent, I guess, throughout the whole thing. It's not just kind of like this fun coincidence. It's intentional. Yes, exactly. It absolutely is. You're totally right. She, she is. I really like the way she, like, as you say, it kind of interweaves that into the story and it's something that's really exciting throughout and I I will say that I don't think any character is kind of, like, unnecessary or won't serve kind of, like, a bigger purpose, which is something that's also really important to me Mm
0: -hmm. in a
1: story. Like, when you introduce a a character, it's not like you're just kind of, I don't know, they're passing by. Like, they all have real character and a real purpose in the story, and I think that's a
0: My thoughts. Well, I just finished it. Like... (laughs) 10 minutes ago, I think, before this call. So it's super, super fresh. And yeah, definitely fell in love with the covers. I've kind of had my eyes on these books for a while. They just look really cool. And you can tell like a lot of love went into them. And what I really gravitated towards in the book was the conversations that Lila and Kel would have together about living and about death and the dichotomy between how they both approach that in their lives mm-hmm. but I definitely felt it felt 18th century like steampunk to me yes oh absolutely I was super into it and I just love like kind of the emphasis on objects mm-hmm. <laughs> and the things to get you through different Londons and collecting them and like that felt very 18th century but also very like Important camel. in a magical world, you know? Yeah. yeah. The, what's more
1: 18th century than a collector? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. So.
0: <laughs> Melissa's going to take us along the ride. She has us. Yes.
1: <laughs> so Kel, I would argue, is like the main character. Yeah. And so Kel is this prince slash ward like, it seems like the king and the queen really want him to think of himself as part of the family, but they kind of also don't really treat him as part of the family. They treat him like, he kind of describes it as just being a piece in their collection, which is really sad. Yeah, I think it's like when it suits them, yeah. they will treat him magnanimously. But when it doesn't suit them, he is an outsider. Yeah. Um, but Rai definitely, like,
0: fought for him. He yes. does yeah. see him as family. And I think that, May was made clear towards the end of the book. And I was like, Oh, okay. That Rye definitely fought to have him be more part of the family. Yeah. Than a, uh, possession him
1: having her. to call the King and Queen mother is like more a result of re like arguing basically. And I'm sure it helped that they were raised together. And so for them, for the King and the Queen, it's nothing. It's just this kid who I'm. Are, I'm. I'm assuming they stole somehow. <laughs> yeah. Have you gotten any info on his backstory at all? No. All we know from book one is that he has like a like a memory blocking charm on his elbow. Is it? Oh, that's And right. then his knife has K and L on it. Yes. Which
0: he's and that's where he gets his name, essentially.
1: Yeah, because they're kind of assuming that it's supposed to be his initials. And then he just goes by Cal. And then he just goes by Cal, yeah. Because why not have his real name? That'd be too normal. <laughs> so Cal has been raised alongside the prince. He's tall and quirky and kind of auburn ginger. And he's got one black eye. And the black eye is what shows that he's Antari, which means he can travel between the different Londons. Yeah. also true. he's... Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, essentially, like, the Antari, there used to be more of them um, Mm -hmm. kind of before Black London fell and magic kind of devoured them. But the Antari are essentially these extremely powerful magicians, I suppose, who are able to control all five elements, right? Mm -hmm. So there's wind, water, earth, fire, and bone. And so he's, like, one of very few left. So he is... That, I think that does kind of make him a bit of an outsider even more, the fact mm-hmm. that there are not anyone of his kind even left, really. Yeah. And you you see that in those first couple of chapters when he starts traveling around Red London, because they once they realize who he is, like once they see his eye, the eye becomes a symbol of him being this protected property of the crown, not of him being an Atari for them. Yeah. Which is funny, because... I'm sure at some point it would have been a respected symbol.
0: And he, he always covers it with his hair.
1: Yeah. Cause he's gotta be emo. He's gotta decide. I know things.
0: I'm I'm not complaining.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When he looked in the mirror. Okay. First, let me just say, I am so jealous of his jacket. I would kill. Oh yeah. yeah Multi reversible jacket that changes for each occasion. That is like my dream come true. Um, but one of my favorite kind of first scenes of him is where he's looking in the mirror and he's, like, fixing his jacket. He sees that his hair is in his eyes. He's about to meet King George the Third, and he doesn't fix it. No, fuck no. Plus, King George the Third is really sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I'd want to look at him with both eyes anyway. Remind me, what London was that? That was white, or sorry, gray London. So that was ours. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Yep, so for those of you who, like, are maybe less familiar with kind of uh Georgian history, I mean, uh, who knows um how many listener, uh, listeners are quite familiar with that, but actually um v e. Schwab is kind of pulling from history here, and so like the king who's kind of imprisoned in Windsor Palace is actually based off of or inspired by like King George the who was also called the mad the Mad King. is that right? Mm-hmm. yeah, since we've got like his son rolling now and he's imprisoned, it also kind of dates the book too, yeah. So the assumption is that this is basically an historical retelling. Yeah. So So we know that King George is alive. He's probably old as dirt by this point. George IV. And there's Georgie. Yeah. He's still the Prince Regent. Exactly. And still a dick, just like he was in real life. Yep. But also, so I guess Kel's also just like a very good person, sometimes to his detriment until he meets Lila, he's just so trusting. And I do on some level agree with kind of what Holland says to him later in the book, but Holland's like, the reason you're so weak is because you've never had to be strong. You've never had to fight for your life. And like, it's true. Mm -hmm. If Lila hadn't been there, he would have died like four times already. Cause he was raised in a palace and like, yeah, he gets to travel around and I'm not diminishing how emotionally hard it must have been to not feel like you're actually part of the family that you're a part of, but he hasn't had to ever physically fight for his life. His magic has been all fun leading up to that point.
0: Yeah. And they directly like address that, like Lila and him. And that's why I like their conversation so much because it really, it brings the root of like where he's coming from, where she's coming from, because she also presses that to her detriment. She's, she says, She says, don't take pity on me. Yeah. And then she takes pity on him. So (laughs) like, Like, okay, (laughs) it's a good conversation. I liked it.
1: Yes. I love that conversation because they're kind of coming from the same like emotional point, but in very different contexts. Yeah. Which is why there's such a good kind of pair. Yeah. Because she really kind of pushes him to learn how. To fight for something yes Mm -hmm. and to learn to stop being so fucking trusting (laughs) like okay so there's this very specific line what page is it i've got it in here hold on here we go okay so so in chapter like section 10 right when they've been caught because they went to like fletcher to try to get the white rook right It says, so Fletcher was saying something to him, gesturing at his palm in the universal sign for payment. The guard nodded and his hand went to his belt as Fletcher turned to watch Kel through the window. Lila saw it coming. Fletcher never did. Instead of reaching for a purse, the guard went for a blade. The metal glinted once in the shop's low light and then it was under Fletcher's chin, drawing a silent red line across his throat. It switches over to Kel's point of view. And then in the next like paragraph-ish, it says, the last had stayed behind to talk to Fletcher and most likely settle the matter of payment. And so, like, it doesn't even cross Kel's mind not to trust these people. He's already come across multiple of those things that have been possessed across all of the Londons. And so he should have 100% been far more suspicious of anyone whose eyes he couldn't see. I would
0: say he's more blinded by...
1: Ra- Ree's loyalty
0: <laughs> over everything else, and that's why he's just not paying attention because he's like, "Oh, Ree will know what to do
1: once he like gets in the what is it? The uh the knights aren't run by Ree, but he doesn't know that. No, no, no. I mean, the knights are under the king and queen.
0: Yeah, but like, Ree is like his way in with
1: royalty. No, no, no. I, I, guess I know that. Saying, I'm just like, saying, like. I don't mean trusting as in, like, he'll walk up to anyone on the street and trust them. I say trusting as in it didn't occur to him to be wary, even though he's under attack. Like, that's why he couldn't go to the castle. Yes. He knew that he was carrying, like, danger with him. Yes, I agree with that. And I
0: think part of why that is is because of his need to see good in people more, or at least re. (laughs) And that was kind of his way, yeah. So, and then, like, it even happens with the stone.
1: Yeah. Uh, The stone's actually also a really good example, because from the get-go with the stone, Lila's like, that stone's not dangerous, that stone is clever, and that's worse. (laughs) And he's just like, I can use it one more time. It's fine. I can use it once more, it won't (laughs) hurt me. Because he genuinely, like, he just doesn't think evil exists half the time. Even though he's got it, Fused to his hand.
0: Well, and he is the, even the one like reinstating all of the time that, like, this isn't good magic.
1: Yeah. Magic, you have to be careful. Like, it's because he thinks he's different and special. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he is different and special, but it also got to his head, I think. Yeah. He could think that he's more impervious to it because he's Antari. Yeah. But as we saw, he was not. But Lila, yes. <laughs> but Lila, my dream girl, the girl I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I love a good
0: like female crossdresser.
1: <laughs> like, yes, I'm super into it. 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 Literally, my goal in life to be mm-hmm. wearing a top hat and a big coat, walk around helping ladies, <laughs> pickpocketing them. Seriously, just really pickpocketing them. I love um, that. I love that she was just unabashedly violent and sketchy sometimes even. Absolutely. I think she's the main character, personally. I would make an argument that the story is 100% becomes interesting when we're introduced to her. And only becomes more interesting when her and Kel meet.
0: Yes, that was a huge part of the book for me. I was like, finally! And then within the same chapter, like, she's... He's like, I've been robbed. Like she, yeah. she, like, steals shit. <laughs> so was,
1: I, think, I feel like she's, like, a side character with, like, main character mentality. Like, she refuses to accept that she's not the main character. Yeah. And respect, honestly. Yeah. I gotta tell you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's talk about the incredible, like, moment when she's come home from a long day of pickpocketing and is, like, on her little... Boat home that she's renting from. What's that guy's name? Powell. Um, Renting from Powell, and this is pretty soon in the book, right? Like I think we've only known her for a couple of pages. Yeah. And by the end of this chapter, she has murdered her would-be rapist. Yeah, as Melissa calls it. Um, and burned. What would you say? Burned the entire ship. Yeah. Even she has more regret for burning the ship than she does for him. And I support that. The only thing I wish she had done in that scene was go to his chambers and make sure that he didn't have any extra gold or money. Yeah. I was like, what she should have just took everything from the joint. She's paid him. There's bound to be money in there. There's bound to be goods in there. Yeah. But it was such an entrance. I mean, it was so incredible. I didn't expect like that kind of character development to be happening so quickly in the book. I think what was funny is that, like, as I was reading that and you get, like, kind of the image of her walking away from the burning ship, it felt very much like an action movie when, like, the guy blows Absolutely. up a building and then, like, walks away all cool from his uh, damage. Very cinematic moment. I don't, I actually would love to just, like, say really quickly that something that I love about B. E. Schwab's writing style, and you can see this in a lot of her other books, is, like, as, as she progresses in her writing, she will just kind of become super sort of cinematic and kind of Mm. have really quick kind of phrases that kind of you hang on to every word that's being written. Yeah, And it's, it's really kind of very tense and there's a lot of buildup going on and it's very fast paced. I really, really enjoyed that as like a 21st century reader who binge watches a lot of television. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I agree. I felt like the writing style with this book was very much like small scenes yes, that were very tight and divisive. Like, everything had a purpose. Like you said, every character has a purpose. Yeah. Every sentence has a purpose. Like, I don't feel there's, like, any fluff. Um, And I like that a lot. (laughs) It's easier to read. It was so much easier to read than a lot of other books in, like, even YA and New Adult. It was very refreshing. She's a very good writer.
1: She had this kind of benefit of being able to avoid info dumping, because mm-hmm. when we're first introduced to everything, we're introduced to it through Grey London, which is the London that we're technically familiar with. And so she was able to kind of drop that in a familiar environment. Yeah.
0: And then everything was distinguished from against Grey London, because yeah. that's what we did know.
1: Yeah. I want to talk a
0: bit more about Lila, though. Yeah, I'm no, kidding. for sure, I'm down. I really liked her code of living, like being a thief, but then she actually was going to pay Kala back for those clothes. And it's almost like she lives in this underground, I want to say it's kind of political. Like she feels like thieving is her right. (laughs) Yeah. But then she also has like this code. She still has respect. She has no, yeah, she does not care about murdering that man. Yeah. But she did care about Kel yes, she's, like, rough and gruff, and you think, oh, a thief, you know, she's got probably really, you know, gray morals, but really she doesn't.
1: No. no. I, th- I think it's one of those things where it's, like, morality is not defined by legality. Like, she has very firm morals, and she is a good person. Like, I would not describe her as a bad person. No, yeah. I do think it is political, though, um, as well, and I think you can see that in, like, who she's, steals from like she says mm-hmm. in the very beginning I don't steal from the poor mm-hmm. I steal from the rich right it's a kind of Robin Hood kind of story yeah. line there I mean she's kind of like the anti hero in that way and you can even think back to the scene where she like sees this kind of really ragged hungry boy sitting on the street and gives him mm-hmm. some you know some money yeah. a coin or whatever and then these other kind of bigger meaner street boys like steal the money from them and she goes after them So there is this kind of moral compass, like, guiding her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what
0: I love it is she's not afraid to murder
1: if she has
0: to. Like, that's kind of how much grit she has.
1: She kind of has this moment, like, she pauses after she kills Powell. And I wouldn't call it regret for killing him, but I would say that there's part of her that's kind of, like, frustrated that she lives in a world where she has to. Which is why I think she was so eager when he was like, there's a different London. And she was like, well, sign me the fuck up. Like, I need out of this one.
0: Yeah. And I think burning the ship was, like, very much, like, symbolic, erasing that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's this line that she has when she kind of goes over her code where, and I can't find it right now, but she talks about feeling safe. And the reason it's so easy for her to steal from the rich is because they always feel safe people who don't feel safe like the poor protect their shit. Yeah. And so I do, I do love that she's not willing to hurt the security of the poor in the same way.
0: Well, and I like, so this is kind of part of the dichotomy I was talking about with Kel and Lila. I wrote in my margins because I don't write in books normally. Mm-hmm. And I did in this book because I was like, this is a good book. But I said, uh, Kel seems to think that Lila doesn't value life because she wants to put it in danger, when in fact he doesn't value it because he doesn't live. So it's like he's just trying to be safe from death. So he's cre- cleaving to safety, whereas she's cleaving to actual life. And so then in am
1: like, yeah. who's actually living, right? Yeah, because at the end of the day, she's more free than he is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's why, I mean, not, not to spoil anything, but the end of the book, right? Like, that's why it, it really, like, shocks him that she doesn't look back at mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, uh, my fiancé was saying this earlier. I'm going to cite him on this. Like, but he, was, he made this point, and I thought it was so good. Because, like, really, Kel is the only person that she knows in this city. He is kind of the safe harbor of this new, like, London or wherever that she has to live in. And she doesn't look back. You yeah. know, she just walks forward. And I think that the way that we see it, that moment striking Kel, really shows that kind of philosophy.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I also just love the image of him standing there staring at her <laughs> and her just leaving.
0: I just, I imagine her like, you know, because it says she like pops her collar up. Yeah. So she just kind of like puts her hands in her pockets. I, I just see her like whistling and just walking off, you know, like just like very like,
1: I'm fine. She's so excited for this new adventure and he's just lost the only thing that made him interesting. (laughs) So true. (laughs) And what's interesting interesting. too, is that like, she's the
0: one that is actually like, at least in the uh, points of view, she's the only one that is actually realizing how much she cares about him. Yeah. Whereas Kel's not really giving that off. Yeah. As much like in the internal dialogue. Right. And so I find that interesting. I was actually kind of surprised that she walked away, but it was more, I think a testament to her character. Yeah. Yeah. And like realizing, oh, but that's, that's her home. That's her safety is Mm -hmm. freedom and going where she wants. Yeah. And later she, you know, that she's going to be like, Hmm, something's missing. And like,
1: when I go back, right? don't really? give my hopes right. up. Hopefully, <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> let's just say she's true to character. Okay, does I, Kel go after her? Don't tell me. So I would kind of say that there's like inklings of Kel's feelings for Lila because there, like the conversation actually that you had talked about earlier when she, the one time when it's very explicitly stated between them, the differences that they've lived, he says something along the lines of, like, "And in an instant, the scared street rat was gone and the cutthroat was back. Yeah. But he was relieved to see her back in threatening form. And so I think he does appreciate what she adds to his life. And it's like, okay, how could you say that you don't love somebody... When you were able to tell that Astrid, that it was really Astrid and not Lila. Because you Which didn't like, say,
0: please.
1: Yeah, it's like, how do you know her that well already? You must be really paying attention to her, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, he's got his eye. He's, he's definitely got his eyes. eye on her. <laughs> and then, oh, this is, this is just like a small, cute detail, but... One of the first things that he says to her once he, like, comes to on her bed, tied to her bed, is that her eyes are two different shades of brown. And so when we find out later from Master, is it Master Tieran, that it's not her real eye, she makes that comment to herself where she's like, people don't normally notice, but Kel noticed. mm mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Only people who really look into her eyes notice. And so it was the first thing he did.
1: Yeah. Which is also saying something since she usually has her hair in her face. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or the hat. I think she wanted wanted him to, like, see her face if she was going to have to kill him. Or so she thought. But instead, she just um, made... His shadow self do strip tease. Yeah.
0: I love, I loved that scene because I love that he's tied and then he just like stays tied. And then later just like, psh. yeah, he had full, total control of the situation the whole time. But he mm-hmm. just like, so
1: dramatic. He's so like, like, how much of an entrance can I possibly make? Yeah. And so he we, waits till like the opportune moment to burn his binds. And then later bind her with the wall. Yes. I like that trick. That's cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I immediately was
0: like, when they first met, which is like, honestly, my favorite chapter. Yeah. But like, when they first met, I loved how many, how much he said her name. Yes. Like, immediately, it was just like, Lila. Like, he doesn't know her at all, but he's just, like, wants to say her name all the time. That's so yeah. sweet.
1: So there's a lot of literary parallels between them, and then there's a lot of, like, kind of fate things happening that lead them to the same places. But one of my favorites, like, is that when we first meet them, they're both running. So she was running, chasing those three street rats and then running from them. Mm-hmm. And then he's running from the people that are trying to steal the stone, right? Yeah. And so our introduction to them meeting is them running from something. And granted, he's able to run a little farther because he can run into Grey London. But they literally run into each other as they're running away from something. And then before this, so a lot of times it'll happen kind of as like a the two sections kind of next to each other. Mm -hmm. So you'll get, like, her, his little paragraph on it and then her little paragraph on it. But he's got the one where he talks about his knife and it's got the initials for his name on it. And he doesn't know what the initials actually stand for. At the same time that she's looking at the silver pocket watch and she thinks it's pretty and it's got these initials on it and she doesn't know what these initials actually stand for. And, like, in some way, like, obviously that's meaningless. It speaks more about each of their individual characters. But I like that we kind of have those parallel scenes uh, like running throughout the book against each other because you get to see the ways that they're similar and the ways that they're different,
0: which is why I would argue that they're both the main character. <laughs> Point of view number three, yes. <laughs> We're hitting it's, all our bases. It's Rye, you guys. The name is Rye. <laughs>
1: he's the main character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the prince. They literally threw a party for him. We just got <sighs> the background noise. I,
0: I low-key love that he just wants, like, <laughs> he just wants, like, everyone to be naked. <laughs>
1: yeah. Everyone's going to wear costumes that are yeah. layers. but He's, you take the layers off. He oh. just wants sauce. He's so <laughs> saucy. Even as much as Kel likes him.
0: At first, I didn't like him. I didn't know if, I, if we were supposed to like him or not. Mm-hmm. Really? And then,
1: yeah. It was a massive red herring. Yeah, because they, they keep throwing in like the comments about like, where would where would he be if he would had magic or if he hadn't been the prince? I 100 percent thought that he was the villain, that he was orchestrating stuff. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That never crossed my mind because I truly like felt so connected to Rhi. I was like, yeah, mm. this is me. So, I
0: mean, you just want everyone to be naked.
1: being a yeah. villain. I can only see myself being like the fun, saucy main character side character. Kel S- describes him as like he'll fuck anything that breathes <laughs>
0: oh. so, so point can, like, just- of view point of view number three, though, I actually thought Re was like a problem, like what he mean? wasn't divisive, like he wasn't malicious or like doing anything, but that he was just getting in the way of what Kel would need. So that's kind of what I was kind of thinking he was going to be, but he ended up being like a really good asset to Kel. Yeah. So I was
1: pleasantly surprised. The most important person in his life, actually.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was really seen with his like need to save his life.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could argue that those aren't two different things though. It does seem like there's times when Kell's love for Rhee gets in the way. That being said, the lesson kind of at the end ends up being that White London's version of controlling magic and making it submit to you is bad anyway. Mm-hmm. So Kell's philosophy is generally a better one to begin with. So I think it's a, at least in the first book, it's a very open-ended, kind of like how much of a problem could re be for Kel well now that they're bound together yeah (laughs) a big problem yeah so it's gonna be very interesting to see how that plays out
0: for sure Um, I do think we should take a moment to talk about Holland
1: yes (laughs) ooh, I loved Holland I mean like all the other books I love having a villain to hate the thing is I don't You didn't really hate him Yeah. No, it felt very like for any listeners that watch Marvel, it felt very winter soldiery to me because he's not in control of what he's doing in, in his core. He's not the type of person to do these things. He's just been forced to one by the soul binding and two, just by the very world in which he exists because he didn't want the crown, which we like, like, is assumed, and then later the Danes kind of confirm. And so just by the very fact that he doesn't want to take over this world makes him a victim, eventually. It makes you wonder if he was a
0: Kel, and he just got wrapped up with these twins.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would say that that's really true, Bethany, because, like, I think there's a moment where... You know, Kel, it's when Kel is kind of in, it's his first it's the first time we're seeing him in White London. And he's like seeing um the Dane twins kind of, you know, subject Holland to having to cut himself in, mm-hmm. in front of them and pour it into the to the cup because they believe that the magic is in the blood or whatever. And Cal kind of reflects for a moment really kind of deeply about the fact that their positions could have easily been switched. He could have been the one mm-hmm. that was in, you know, like stuck in white London, born in white London. And Holland could have been the one that kind of mm-hmm. got to be raised in this really privileged. Yeah. Upbringing. And I think he even re- suggests like that he regrets not speaking up in that moment, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Know, that was a
0: really heavy scene.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the same way that he's having to confront, I guess, his ignorance when he's with Lila, he's, obviously had to do that with Holland before because this isn't the first time he's having to go to white London and it's not the first time he's run into Holland. And so it's probably one of those things that he feels very guilty about. That like reflection that he has when he tries to be like, it could have been either of us is about the closest that he at that point can get to some kind of like internal conceptualization of his guilt. Because I do think he's emotionally closed off to himself like he's guarded and so I don't think he ever let himself realize how bad he really felt for Holland because then what happens after that you have to do something about it I'm just gonna say Melissa that I knew that you would love Holland because he's kind of <laughs> the you know bad boy that you loved um, I knew right away especially there's this moment that I really kind of Made it clear to me, I was like, yes, this is Melissa's type of character. When he first kind of runs into, he not runs into, he finds uh, Lila um, in the tavern after her, um, her run-in with Kel. Kel has just left. He's run away. She's decided to go out and get a drink. And, you know, he drags her outside and says to her, divest yourself of your weapons or I will. <laughs> I knew that, that line would get you. I knew it. It should have. Maybe it did. maybe it did just like okay sexy (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i i I did love him what what about you bethany what about holland i just i just thought his
0: uh like his death was like really powerful oh yeah and that okay so i remember you spoke of the chaelin in the past about the fight scenes in this in this series and I was like, wow. Like, the one with him and Cal was, like, really intense. And it was just very vivid and, like, well-written. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked, um, yeah, just, like, his death and as it being a relief. Because he couldn't, even if he wanted to kill himself, he couldn't really. But mm-hmm. there was some Entari power or something that let him not, like,
1: you know... You know what I'm talking it, about. It let him pause just yeah. long enough that, yeah, to be impaled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really that was really dark. Hello to the new YA. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was talking with Melissa earlier, and we we were saying. Well, she was saying that she you might re- repeat yourself about the sort of lack of sex in this book, but yeah. you know, I was thinking, I I really think it's the fight scenes. Yeah. and the sort of action that rage makes up for that the yes. rage that's what makes up for it i think 100% um i think i i genuinely believe there's a place for rage it's not a an emotion to be demonized mm. it's going to exist either way so you might as well accept it yeah and it's nice to have that kind of outlet for it cuz when you read smut when you read like really nasty sex scenes, right? Your sex life isn't always going to be like that. And I don't want to speak for everyone's, but every single time somebody has sex is not going to be like that. It's not all going to be like Poppy and, and uh, (laughs) Castile having crazy sex constantly. And so when you read smut, it's nice to have that release that like emotional release that crazy wild sex gives. Right. But in the same way, when you read really good battle scenes and you read about, like, really detailed rage, it's nice to have that outlet. Yeah, the the passion is still there. The emotional yeah. outlet is still there. 100%. I would like to hear what you guys think about um, the scene between Belloc and Lila. Oh, cool. Because that was really rough for me. Yeah. That was... It was funny because it was another parallel obviously between Lila and Kel because you've got them having to fight somebody they don't want to fight but the only option is to kill them at this point point. and in the Holland situation it felt just it yeah. felt like something that Holland wanted yeah mm-hmm. but Lila has the line where she asks Belloc, how do you want to die and it's just like it's a kid yeah. it's never even crossed his mind yeah that was rough. Well, it
0: may be because I was kind of speed reading at that point. <laughs> but I was like, it It happened really fast. Like, there wasn't yeah. a lot of time for her to think. There wasn't a lot of, like, back and forth about, like, okay, are you sure? And this is what I'm talking about is, like, she's a thief, but she's she'll also kill. Yeah. And now she's killed a child. So it is kind of, like, she's she's definitely... On paper, morally gray, but you know what her intentions were. Yeah. And they were good. Because at the end of the day, like, the kid was like, please just do it. Yeah. 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 And Holland kind of, sorry, it was kind of like Holland. Because Holland wanted it. it. And the
1: kid, the kid had to, like, kind of beg her. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting is that with Holland, we only got this kind of hearsay about what's happening. And why he is, why he is. But from, with like Belloc, we get from very beginning why he's with Athos and Astrid. He just didn't bow. Yeah. And so he's only standing there at this moment because of an instance of teenage rebellion, which even Athos recognizes. He's like, I was a rebel, a rebel once. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, it made it a lot harder to, to read. I had a really hard time reading it. I, I actually was kind of upset by it when I first read it. Like, a, mm-hmm. a little upset with Lila, if I'm being honest. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like there was a, a, I mean, it's hard because I feel like, you know, it, you never know what you're going to do in these instances. And as you say, Bethany, like, it happened really fast. And I think in mm-hmm. that instant, like, it, it's it's realistic in the sense that, like, she didn't have a lot of time to kind of, you know, make any kind of different decision, a creative kind of alternate way to help this kid, because what can she do? She doesn't really know, Mm -hmm. you know, she doesn't know magic. Um, but it was upsetting to me that it just kind of moved on and the book ended and it wasn't really Mm -hmm. revisited. Yeah. And so that was kind of upsetting for me because I felt like it was really traumatic and upsetting for me to read. And I wanted her to maybe like reflect on it. At some you point, you needed some
0: kind of closure.
1: I did, and I felt yeah. like I didn't get that. Yeah. No, instead,
0: she's like, "Let me go find my map." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, "Wait, what?" Like, uh, you just went through like the biggest adventure of your life. Yeah. And she just did some shit. Thing.
1: Yeah, and I feel like the death of Belloc um, is a little bit, kind of. I don't know. I feel like it's all kind of tied in as well with like Baron's death. Yeah, I don't know, like. I feel like she's not really, she's not getting closure herself with Barron's death, and I feel like that maybe that's why she didn't. That's the only reason I could come up with for why she didn't reflect on. I mean, return to it. Yes, so because I feel like she hasn't dealt with that yet. You know, Lila, when living on the streets, you can't let those things stop you. Yeah, and so while I, while I do say that she is honest with herself, and I'll stand by that she doesn't let herself feel things for too long. So she had that moment where she paused after she killed Powell and she probably felt a few things, but then she just burned the ship down. Yeah. When they find out that Barron's died and she clearly, clearly has a very strong attachment to him. The only really acknowledgement that she has about it is that she asks to be the one to kill Holland. And then, but then after that, it doesn't even really come up again. And so you can tell that she's just kind of like pushing everything down. Yes. Like it's going to be this big, ugly sandwich that she's going to poop out later. (laughs) (laughs) And what's interesting is then you have the contrast of
0: Kel when Re is hurt and dying, has no hesitation in binding his life to him and almost feels too much. Because yeah. she's like, don't do this, like you don't want to do this. And he's just like, I'll do what I have to do. So it's almost like she doesn't reflect enough and Re almost does too much.
1: Yeah. She's not letting the like the hurts of her past ever come up. She never reflects on those things, but she's always honest with her feelings in the moment. Whereas you've got Kel, who's like the flip the opposite, who like won't acknowledge his feelings for her in the moment but we'll reflect on his history with the Royal family and like how he loves them all so much. Mm-hmm. So like through, through the book, she gains more compassion. The longer she spends time with Cal, not that she didn't have it before, but I think she feels safer expressing it. Yes. And then on the opposite end is that Cal gains like street smarts. So where he didn't bat an eye when those nights were kind of sketchy, like they all had their hoods down and everything, and you couldn't really see their faces. When Lila comes out later, but it's really Astrid, he figures it out. Because at that point, he's been spending so much time with Lila that he's kind of absorbed some of her street smarts as well. And so they're helping each other. Yeah. In a few ways. Absolutely. So I feel like we've touched on this a couple of times, but I do want to delve a little bit deeper into... I guess, like, the the ethics behind them closing the doors between the realms. I think it's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Super fucked up. I think yes. it really sucks that, like, because of proximity, white London had to bear the brunt of everything that went down mm-hmm. when black London fell, and that, like, the people couldn't have been, like, brought over before they sealed the doors or saved. Yeah. I feel like it was kind of like a stupid move. Not, I guess it's a more of a hindsight thing, but white London suffered a lot because of the way that they did it. Yeah. And so I feel almost like white London is kind of heading toward what went down in black London. Absolutely. It's and just like going to be
0: a progression up yeah. around the universes. Yeah, like... Yeah, there needs to be a way that you can work with it all, right? mm-hmm. And. There's a, there was a lot of going back and forth with Kel and Holland about controlling it, mm-hmm. but Kel was not about controlling it. It was about respecting it. Yeah. So
1: it's a little political philosophy. Yeah, I really liked the philosophy of that. I thought it was really moving, but I don't think that necessarily white Londons, I'm not sure if I'm sold on the idea that white London, you know, wouldn't have had that as well if they had become yeah. subsumed in Red London's like country, mm-hmm. like closing the doors and having Antari lock them clearly didn't work in their favor because one London has almost no magic left at all, the other one has abused it so aggressively that like its people have disgustingly pale skin and black veins, mm-hmm. and then Red London is just living it up. Yeah. They have no, yeah, like, societal issues at all, do they? They're just, no. like, a society of privilege. In one exactly.
0: Way. Yes, I really liked the imagery of all of the different Londons, Red London being, like, yeah, like, the party city, almost like this red carpet kind of celebration. Yeah. Like, it's even, like, you have the event of Ree's birthday, And just, like, this big party and masquerade. White London is almost just, like, dusted in ash. I was trying to kind of figure out... It's not even so much that it's white. It's, like, almost everything has kind of a wash over it. Yeah. And it's, like, grayed out. So it's... White London was more gray. Red London was just colorful. It just had a red river. But White London almost looked like, you know, the city next to the big volcano. Yes. (laughs) Like, not just... Yeah, shrouded in ash <laughs> and everyone's very ghoulish and like you know terrified
1: yeah i think the difference between like gray london and white london in my head image is that gray london is definitely always raining and then like it has that like london kind of constant mm-hmm. drizzle and then white london was like aggressively dry
0: mm-hmm,
1: hmm yeah dusty and yeah there's the the line when when a uh, Kel talks about his uh, when Kel first gets to White London and the, the first time we see him there and he talks about how the air was like starving and so it feels like the air is also just like empty like a dust bowl or something like yeah that.
0: and I think they talked to about like the ground being like really fine mm-hmm. uh, the dirt I kind of thought of Gray London as being almost brown like very Dickens. Mm. I did too, actually. It's like dingy.
1: Yeah. I think I was thinking like the Sweeney Todd movie, like that version of London. Yeah. <laughs> For Grey London. But I think that White London is really cold, no, because I think when he gets there, like he can see his breath and the mm-hmm. sort of, mm-hmm. the river is half frozen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like everything's moving in slow motion is the the kind of feeling I get about it because like, he said that the only thing that is really keeping the people kind of alive, the only magic source is this river, but it's sort of like, it's not even, it's not flowing. It's like stuck, but it's, it's very slow. Um, And you kind of get the sense that like the people are kind of held in time as well. Like, yeah. wavering between life and death. Quick question. Mm -hmm. Doesn't Kel get to rule white London now? Technically, yeah. I mean, he should have just left Lila back for that. Like, she would have loved that. Taylin, I think that's an interesting theory. Shut up. I want you to speak more. Shut up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, aggressive voice. But I'm like, I'm like, literally, like, don't they see that? Like, they're just going to leave this country, this this London, this world, just after they killed its rulers, like... Like, where are the soldiers that were under this bind? That's a good you question. Know? Like, how does that power... I guess they bound them themselves with their own magic, the Danes. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I really liked, real quick, I just really liked that, too, when she walks into the castle or palace or whatever. And she was like, oh, they're, like, bound, but you have to be really specific about the uh, spell. And so they, like, just didn't... They just, like, didn't do anything. They just, like, let her walk in. Yeah, like she, I, I,
1: I actually I love that moment too because she hasn't really learned anything about magic, mm-hmm. but she can infer as much because she's been around him long enough. Like when she first gets to Red London and they're kind of split up, she has to kind of make her way for a second. Mm-hmm. She immediately starts picking up words in this new language. Like she's a genius. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that too. She's
0: really smart. She knows how to think on her feet. Mm-hmm. Um, He's not just violent. Yeah, yeah. But uh, back to, like, the Londons, I guess. Um, Grey London, like we said before, is very much just like London as we know it in in this time and space. (laughs) And then,
1: yeah, Red London is just very, like, flourishing. I do always love the kind of notion, in historical fiction specifically, where it's set in one of our settings and it's like magic used to exist in this realm. Cause it, it it kind of, it makes it Mm. like feel like it could come back almost, you know? Well, and even master Tyrion says it still lives everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. Like, like, Ooh, I love that kind of like touch to us. Yeah. Yeah. I do really also like, this is not really related to anything we were talking about how the magic within the stone was personified because Kel has a lot of, like, animistic views where, like, with the air, when he talks about the starving air, like, he personifies the air in that moment. But it's real because the second he lets his magic out, he can feel it absorbing that magic. And so at first it seems just kind of like that abstract animistic view of, like, nature is real and you need to care for nature the same way that you would a person because of balance within nature, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think at one point he even says like, it's not a renew. His people don't think of it as a renewable resource or as an endless resource. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they, they use it respectfully. Yeah. But then I love how that becomes literal when we get the point of view sections from the bodies that the stone is possessing and so we're like animistic views in general can be kind of I don't want to say playful at all but like they can be almost whimsical in these kinds of environments in this kind of like in this setting and you get both sides of that though because you get Red London where it is very sweet but then you also get the stone that's like "Ah, I blew through Southwark in an hour (laughs) <laughs> like literal bodies. Like he possessed and burned through literal bodies in an hour. But it's this object that we're getting the point of view from. And I love the Absolutely.
0: I love that it was very like seductive.
1: Mm-hmm. There's kind of
0: like hints of just like dark, seducing, also kinky, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> like
1: he goes <laughs> to the brothel, going on. Yeah. And he's like, she she was a willing uh vessel. The easiest kind. And I was like, that's a interesting choice of words, Mr. Stone. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Stone. But also kind of interesting parallel. Now I'm thinking about it. Like, I wonder if Red London is a little bit like the upper classes that Lila steals from. They're a little, yeah, like they Mm. are, they aren't, they feel safe, you know, which is why Mm. they didn't see this, this, this kind of like mass, what would you call this? A mass? They call it the sickness is what they call it, right? Like, that's why they didn't see it coming and didn't know what to do and yeah. just kind of scapegoat Cal well, and everything. Well, then you have
0: these characters coming from all different Londons. Lila's from gray. Kel is from red. Holland is from white, right? hmm And they all kind of take on those attributes, right? Kel's very safe, but he's just yeah. afraid of dying. <laughs> Lila is fighting for her life all the time. And wants to get out of the rainy gray city.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then Holland is literally a slave.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the stone
1: is the Black London
0: character, yeah.
1: It is. And you can see how, how quickly, like, none of them are really impervious to it. You know, you can see that, yeah. like, even if they think they are special, like, Black London fell easily. Yeah. Italy's. Like, and we can see that happening, this kind of history playing out through mm-hmm. these little moments. Yes, I really loved how that was
0: illustrated. It really did feel like it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, you could like really it wasn't feel just, it.
1: You know? Yeah. There's yeah. a moment in my notes, I think it was actually when the stone went to the brothel, where I was like, is it already too late? Like, is Red London about to fall? Like, is that how this series starts? Is one of the Londons falling? Because the brothel was the perfect place to do it. And so I was just, my brain tumbled a little bit. And I was like, if he's giving this to the whole brothel, they're about to have a party this weekend, which means that brothel is about to have a lot of business. Mm-hmm. It's about to spread like wildfire. And it did. Like, Parrish deserved better, first of all. But he could feel it. I found that interesting because he was like, it's not the fact that I've only had one drink. Like, I can feel some things off. So, yeah, I think mm-hmm. we, we got kind of the, almost what would have happened. Mm. The modern recreation of the beginnings of Black London falling. I kind of, I really
0: want to know what Black London used to be like. Same. I kind of imagine it being, like, kind of cool.
1: I was really sad that we didn't get to see it in the end. Yeah, because the whole time he's like, I've got to go to Black London. It's like, it's probably, it's probably like this, like, heaven It's probably something. just <laughs> super Like this yes, paradise. Right? People are good. like, like,
0: yeah, shit. This is what it is. So Black London has created this history of universes. Love that. Love and
1: that. so that they can live in peace. <laughs> God, that'd be so nice. Do they fake their own death? <laughs> <laughs> like
0: Black London is just like, it's just like magic and like mm-hmm. glitter. You know, it's just like this magical land. Everyone poops
1: berries and <laughs> butterflies, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I do think I do hope at least that we get more about Black London in the future. and maybe I do think some of it is like coming from blood and ash, where we find out that Atlantia isn't quite as yeah, yeah. And so, like, now I'm reading about this, like, fallen kingdom. I'm like, oh, is it, Kel? Is it fallen? (laughs) Yeah. Like, Black London
0: orchestrated all of the other Londons. You guys
1: are quick readers. So that they, like... You're like Kel. You're just learning, you know? (laughs) What was her Lila? And they're schooling you. Yeah. (laughs) And their plots. Um, I think... I I am excited since, like, we've recorded this. Now I can start the next one. Yeah, me too. I'm like really I into it. That the next book is my favorite. It's fucking incredible. Um I ah! can not wait for you guys to read it. I'm going to read it alongside of you. Final thoughts? Yeah. My final thoughts um I think this is a good um wait, I don't know. Like it's hard because I've read all 3, but I do think that this was a really excellent first novel. Okay. I think that um at times I felt like Maybe, it, you know, it, this is always how it goes with the first anything, you know, a first book, first episode, like there's the world building and, you know, you have yeah. to kind of be a little patient. But I do think that there was a lot of really excellent kind of character building, all really lot, like a lot of really excellent action and a good and I think a good ending, too, that made yeah. me kind of want, want to see what happens next. Like, I, I don't really know when I when I think back to like finishing this first novel I didn't really know what was going to happen next at all. And yeah, I think that the unknown about that is kind of exciting because the story could play out really in so many different ways. So then follow-up question on that. Without any spoilers, <laughs> having read all three books now, would you say that this was a good kind of lead into those? I think, I think it is a good lead into those. I think that, you know, you're going to see... Like I said at the beginning, I think that the characters that you see are are consistently important throughout, and I think that's really important for me um, to like for the holistic picture for mm-hmm. all all three books. That's important, and I also think that like it's good setup for the characters, and that the next book is going to be a really nice a really nice fleshing out of some of the the things that you're starting to see happen with these characters. Like you're going to really see okay. them grow and change in really really fun ways. Okay. So as a first-timer, I really did like this book. Uh, I did joke with Taylin a couple of times that, like, without the sex, I was surprised that I stayed as interested for as long as I did, <laughs> which I think speaks to the testament of the, the world that V. Schwab has created in here. But each of them is so unique in their own way. But I, I love that they've got those u- uh, unifying kind of factors. We've got, They've all got the river. They've all, for some reason, got this one tavern in the same spot. Mm -hmm. And so I think she's done a really good job of establishing something that I'm invested in. Yeah. I really enjoyed, I'm kind
0: of a slut for like aesthetics, like the Mm -hmm. fucking front of the books. I was like, hell yeah. But also like it followed through and it was just like, I could see it and feel it. It was very like tangible, but Also, it just was very tightly written. It was enjoyable to read. I didn't feel like there were any slumps. You were always on to the next thing. Everything had a purpose. Like, it was very satisfying in that way. And I also just, like, really, yeah, fell in love with the characters. Like, Mm -hmm. I really loved Kel. Actually, I probably, you guys really liked Lila, but I'm, there's part of me that will always love a little damsel. Like, yeah, like not like damsel damsel, but like, you have to come from somewhere, yeah. yeah. And I like that he's starting to harden a little bit.
1: I think what's funny is that I kind of viewed Kel as the damsel. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like Kel is the, like- the the princess that needs to be broken a little bit. Yeah, and Lila's the bad boy that's going to help do that. Yeah, I love that because
0: I even thought too, like when he was saving Re, he's very emo- emotionally driven. Yeah, which was watching yeah. in a male character for sure. And she's very like, How it's is life. this going to help me in the future? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like,
1: logic, yeah. You guys are really gonna enjoy book two. I just can't wait. You're gonna love it. I'm literally gonna start it tonight. You just say the sexual tension <sighs> as if it wasn't enough already. <laughs> he kissed her. Ah! That was such a sweet kiss. And then they're just holding each other when they get back to to Red London, like a couple of teenagers, right? Like, his heart skips a beat when he realizes that she did make it through the door. Yes.
0: So we talked about how, like, Lila's kind of always like, oh, I actually need him-esque, yeah. right? But he does it through action. Yes, He's he the does. one that, like, yep.
1: He's the one that, like, holds her. And he, he suddenly feels sad yeah. that he thinks she didn't make it. Instead of yeah. having a long internal monologue like she does about, yeah, I'm staying for Kel, but for this reason too. <laughs> Convict yourself. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to talk about this book with you guys. Um, I'm happy to, yeah, happy to come back anytime. Yes, please We're do. Happy to have you.
0: It was really fun. Yes. yes. I loved that we would have like three different perspectives on things. Yeah. yeah. Like that was kind of fun. The who's the main character. <laughs> How do you pronounce Ri, Rai? Although we don't have three opinions on that, but
1: we should do the poll. Is it pronounced re or rye? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then for the next book, we'll pronounce it whoever wins. Yeah, who wins. Yeah. And so uh, it'll just be one of us going like fuck. Three. <laughs> exactly. Rye. Yeah. So.
0: So tell us listeners, do you think it's Ri or Rye? Let us know.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So that is the end of book one. We are going to race through book two and bring that to you next week. And that's going to be a gathering of shadows.
0: Meanwhile, you can find us on Instagram at In Bed with Books Pod. And until then, thanks, Taylin, for being with us. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. And uh, happy reading. Happy reading. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: that but that is the course we took. oh yeah yeah 18th century studies so <laughs> get yep. ready um strap in and <laughs>